The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We welcome you to the service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio listenership in New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. It was Martin Luther, fourth window to my right, who said, sin boldly, but trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ more boldly still. It was Martin Luther who said, here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. It was Martin Luther who said, preaching is one beggar telling another where they may both find bread. It was Martin Luther who said of the letter to the Galatians, which we have heard this month and again today, it is my beloved, my spouse, my wife, my Katie Von Bora. That is today, well beloved, to our pulpit, we welcome our chapel associate for Lutheran students, Miss Jessica Chica a graduate student in the Boston University School of Theology whose passionate interest lies at the intersection of theology and the environment. We were supposed to hear her voice on April 21st, but as you will remember, events in the preceding week conspired to cause us to shift our schedule slightly. She brings us the mighty theme, healing fractures in just a moment. That is, we remember Martin Luther, we recognize that John Wesley, whose tradition of Methodism we celebrate here at Marsh Chapel, on May 24th of 1738, in a dark church on Aldersgate Street as the rain did fall in London, heard Martin Luther's preface to the letter to the Romans and had his, Wesley's heart, strangely warmed. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray together. O Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name, for you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We have gathered in the trust and experience of divine love, God's love embracing us. We remember the words of ancient scripture, comfort one another, be kind to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. We recall and know in our own experience, all of us are better when we're loved. We turn in silent prayer and confession as our choir sings the traditional Kyrie to offer our personal prayers. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Beloved, hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you were baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. 
For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively Psalm 42 with the Antiphon.
As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. God will give you Beloved, please rise as you are able for the singing of our Gloria Patri and the reading of our Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him, 
He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got in the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Their pigs were dead, a whole heart of them driven into the lake. And now the man, previously possessed by demons, who was naked and living in the tombs, is somehow normal again, fully clothed and calm. The people of Gerasenes, swine herders, and of course Gentiles, were afraid. Not only were they afraid, but someone, or several someones, just lost their basis for economic foothold. The narrative in Luke, which proceeds this story of healing, is the calming of the sea by Jesus in the presence of the disciples, which leaves the disciples in awe and wonder of Jesus' power. In this narrative, there is fear, and most likely anger at the conclusion, drawing a stark contrast in how Jesus is perceived within different communities. A community that once maintained its status quo by excluding one member, a fractured community, must now attempt to heal itself through, Jesus, through God's presence. The once-possessed man is given the order to turn around and be the voice that conveys God's will to the community that isolated him and still fears him. We know very little about the legion of demons that possessed the man, but we know their effects. Physically, the demons made the man strong, able to break through the shackles that his community had laden him with. Socially, the demons were an alienating force. The man lived in the tombs, isolated and naked. He was not a member of the community proper. In Jesus addressing the man's demonic possession, he's not healing in the sense that we have come to attribute the medical idea of healing. 
Instead of addressing a sickness, something that makes the individual's body ill, the healing of the demoniac is a social healing. Healing the illnesses which create exclusion and prevent individuals from fully loving one another as God intends. Jesus challenges the way Gerasene society has made a comfortable existence with the demoniac. Their status quo is maintained within the community by making him an outcast. When he comes back a healed man, they're afraid because it challenges their perception of how society should function. Jesus' actions in healing the man do not bring comfort, but fear of change. The narrative of healing in Gerasenes is not unlike many situations of fractured relations, relationships we encounter today. Socially, we experience disparities between individuals based on economic status, race, sexual orientation, and even religion. But we are not just fractured in our relationships with other people. We are also fractured in our relationship with the Earth. Climate change, water pollution, and deforestation are all symptoms of a fractured relationship with our environment. As an aspiring ethicist, I'm interested in how Christian beliefs can play a part in defining an ecological ethic, an appreciation for and respect for the Earth and its creatures, including humanity. Ecological ethics looks at issues of environmental degradation and provides analysis of the situations as well as suggestions for what might be the best courses of action. Our reliance on the earth is essential for everyday life. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, well, most of it, derive from natural processes. We could not exist without the support from the earth and its processes. We are, in fact, one of the most dependent organisms on the planet but we tend to take the earth and its processes for granted. We expect that the earth will always provide for us and that the cycles will continue to function in the same ways that they always have. However, the way we use the earth has become unsustainable. Our perceived possession of nature to use how we see fit has led to its abuse. In this context, the earth is viewed as an object rather than a subject, a commodity rather than possessing its own inherent value. To Mart use Martin Buber's terminology, an it rather than a thou. The ecological ethicist Jim Nash, former professor of social ethics at BU School of Theology, advocates in his book, Loving Nature, that as Christians, we must come to understand nature as our neighbor. This requires us to be in a simil similar loving relationship with nature as we are instructed to share with our human neighbors. Nature has its own inherent value, separate from the utilitarian value human beings assign to it when they view it only in economic terms. From a Christian perspective, Nash points out that nature's inherent value can be identified in scripture. In Genesis 1.31, God declares the whole earth very good, not just because it is useful to humans, but because it is good in and of itself. There's one example among many current envi environmental crises that I'd like to highlight today. Hydraulic fracturing, or fracking, as it's commonly called, is a process used by natural gas companies to access and release natural gas deposits a mile or more within the earth so that it can be used for energy purposes. Some of you might be familiar with it from films such as Gasland or the recent Matt Damon movie Promised Land. Described simply, the process involves drilling into the earth, first vertically, then horizontally to access gas pockets within shale formations. 
A pipe enclosed in concrete is then placed in the drilled well, and chemically treated water is pumped into the well, fracturing the rock formations below and releasing the gas. Natural gas companies have established or establishing fracking sites in many states. California, Texas, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, just to name a few. New England has yet to experience this form of energy production. On the surface, fracking seems an ideal process to provide domestic energy source. Natural gas is cleaner burning than oil or coal, and if spills occur, it just vents into the atmosphere instead of creating a huge mess. Many of us rely on natural gas to heat our water, cook our food, even heat our homes. Fracking also brings with it the promise of economic prosperity through jobs and the leasing or purchasing of land owned by individuals who sit on top of these shale formations. Earlier this year, I was fortunate enough to travel to my home state of Pennsylvania to visit Bradford and Sullivan counties, located in northeastern Pennsylvania. Bradford County has the highest number of fracking sites in the state of Pennsylvania, and Sullivan County has seen an increase in well drilling in the past few years. I was concerned about the reports I was hearing regarding the practice of fracking in the media, which tended toward focusing on both the economic benefit and the potential threats. I was also concerned because fracking sites are starting to come into the county where my extended family lives. I wanted to see firsthand what it was like to live in an area where fracking was happening and how people who lived in these areas felt about the process. So on a chilly day in March, my dad and I set out in a rental car to visit two Lutheran churches, one in each county where parishioners were feeling the effects of fracking. Most people I encountered expressed an overall satisfaction with the gas company's presence in their community. This was because natural gas companies brought economic stability to areas which five years prior had struggling economies. Both communities lacked industry suitable for providing enough meaningful work for its citizens. Sullivan County, especially the town of Dushore, which I visited, was one, one, at one time mostly farmland. Now an aging population was finding it hard to maintain farm, farming lifestyles and saw fracking as an economic opportunity. If a section of land is identified as containing gas deposits or would make for a good fracking site, gas companies will sign leases with the landowners to allow them to access those pockets of gas underground. A fracking pad is where the actual drilling takes place to establish a well and can vary in size. The ones we saw were approximately about the size of a football field. Once the company begins accessing natural gas, landowners receive monthly, monthly payments from the gas companies. Individuals can also sell portions of their lands for gas pipelines to be installed, an important part of the gas collection process. Additionally, the gas companies improve infrastructure, such as roads, which the state has not attended to. Local businesses see an increase in sales and, sales and patronage. There is also the promise of jobs within the gas company for individuals living in these areas. My experiences in Pennsylvania left me torn. Environmentally, I believe that a continued reliance on fossil fuels is not the solution to our energy needs. I'm also fearful of the fracking process itself for the damage it causes to the earth. However, the people in these communities could easily be my relatives. When put into a situation of economic hardship, any opportunity for gain seems like the best, and in some cases, the only option. But thinking to the larger picture, to our global community, the practice of fracking is attempting to put a band-aid on an energy and economic situation that requires stitches. 
Not just a Band-Aid, but a Band-Aid that has been dropped on the floor and is potentially spreading infection. Just as the people of Grasnes thought that the solution to their problem was to separate the Demon Act from their community, we are seeking the wrong solution to maintain our status quo of energy needs. Looking at fracking from an outsider perspective, there are several key questions one might ask. First, is it safe? Not just is it safe for human communities, but is it safe for our Earth community as well? In ecological ethics, we use an idea called the precautionary principle. Precautionary principle is the sentiment that action should not be taken if the consequences are uncertain and potentially dangerous. With fracking, there is a great deal of concern regarding the health of human beings and the environment. There is potential for contamination of drinking water by chemically treated water and methane, either through improper disposal or containment of wastewater and or cracks in the piping or concrete casing. Also, improper disposal and treatment of fracking wastewater, which contains unspecified chemicals, which are considered trade secrets for each company, poses a threat. Natural gas is highly explosive, so there is also potential for explosions occurring at fracking sites. Finally, loss of already dwindling fresh water supplies, as an individual frack requires seven to eight million gallons of water, some of which is unretrievable once it enters the ground. Fresh water is an ever increasingly more precious resource as our world's population grows and our impacts on the environment limit its amount. Can we really afford to use water in this manner? While gas companies claim that they are refining the process of fracking so that accidents and concerns become less numerous, there is still potential for great harm. When is that potential too much? Is it fair for some communities to bear the potential effects of the fracking process so that we can continue our reliance on fossil fuels? Are those potential drawbacks being communicated effectively to these communities? Additionally, how sustainable is fracking as both an energy and economic resource? Natural gas is still a fossil fuel. It does burn more cleanly and efficiently than oil or coal, but it still produces carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas. Not to mention the fact that natural gases themselves, such as methane, are also greenhouse gases. Methane does not last as long in the atmosphere as, as carbon dioxide does, but it's more efficient at trapping radiation. The EPA states that at equivalence, the impact of methane on climate change is 20 times greater than carbon dioxide over the course of a 100-year period. One must also consider the amount of natural gas present within the United States and the rate at which we consume this form of energy. Natural gas is a non-renewable resource, and just like coal and oil, it will eventually run out. When that time comes, what will happen to the areas that rely on it for economic growth? Sometimes conveying important messages of life put us in tough places. We are called to speak the word of God through justice and love. We do not only share the message of justice and love with each other, within our congregation and our Christian community, but with the whole world. The demoniac in today's gospel wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus tells him that he must go back and declare what God has done for him. Returning to a community which had already excluded him because he did not fit into their social order to share the good news is a difficult task. We share in this task, though, when we speak or show how God's love and concern for justice shapes our understanding of what is good and right in our wider society. 
Speaking out about fracking seeks justice for the earth as well as the, as the communities who experience it, including the overall impact on our global society. Today's message is that we cannot remain comfortable with the status quo when it comes to our reliance upon fossil fuels. In doing so, we create and continue to foster the fractures between humanity and the, the environment. Just as the people of Gerasenes are afraid after Jesus' healing of the demon act because it challenges how they understand their society to properly function by excluding those who are deemed to be lesser, so too are we afraid to change our ways of life that might lead to a less convenient or less comfortable situation when it comes to energy production and use. We need to heal our fractured relationship with the earth, learning to work with it rather than against it. So what can we do? For such a large-scale issue, considering how we can make an impact at an individual level can be overwhelming. One place to start is using those three words we often hear linked with environmentalism. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Often, most emphasis is placed on recycling. Don't throw it away if it's paper or plastic or tin or aluminum. Put it in a green or blue bin. But recycling is at the end of the list of principles because it should be our final attempt at reducing waste. Recycling requires energy input to convert goods into new products, even if the material input is less. It is not the final answer to our energy consumption problems. Reusing is a concept that many of us forget about. When it comes to energy, it's impossible to reuse energy already spent. However, by reusing products that require energy to be made or processed, nearly everything that we purchase, we can reduce the amount of fossil fuels, like natural gas, expended in the manufacturing process. I'll give you one example. Thanks to the performer Macklemore, a whole new generation is becoming familiar with reusing. His hit thrift shop encourages people to find unique treasures at their local thrift shop, making it stylish to realize that, quote, one's man's trash is another man's come up. For those of you who are not up with the latest lingo, a come up is a bargain. I'm proud to say that I'm reusing this cassock, which I am sweating through right now, <laughs> that I'm wearing was given to my dad 45 years ago for his ordination into the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. <laughs> Reducing, on the other hand, is much more difficult than recycling or even reusing, but it is probably the most important of these principles. It challenges our notion of our status quo. Just as the people of Gerasenes had created stability in their community by separating the demon act by, from interacting with them and became afraid of bringing him back into their society after Jesus healed him, we are also afraid of challenging the status quo of our Americanized existence. We live in a consumerist culture, which tells us that if there is not a steady state growth in our economy, then our society is in peril. We are encouraged to consume. It's the American way. But we do not have to buy in, pardon the pun, to this way of existence. For example, when it comes to energy, we can reduce our use by employing sustainable practices, such as taking shorter showers, weatherizing our houses or apartments, and consuming less. Reusing comes back into play here. We can investigate alternative energy sources, find out how we can effectively access resources that are renewable, like solar, wind, and geothermal power, and parlay them into sources for green jobs. 
Additionally, we can share our understanding of God's presence in the world by speaking out against injustices to our neighbors, whether humankind or other kind. Grassroots organizing against fracking has been especially effective in New York State, where local communities utilize the precautionary principle, insisting that greater proof of the safety of fracking processes must be made in order to allow it to occur. Through these processes, the citizens of several small, small townships have managed to ban fracking in their areas and have convinced the governor to continually place moratoriums on fracking within the entire state. We can also seek out alternative forms of economies which can provide communities with work options that build relationships between community members and the earth. When we begin to recognize ourselves as part of a larger community, both human and earthly, we must consider how our, impact, our actions impact those around us. Part of our faith as Christians is that we always have hope in the face of challenges and that love and justice will prevail. We cannot maintain a status quo that continues to alienate and fracture our communities. We must hear what God has done for us and utilize that knowledge to our best advantage. Acting through our faith, we must seek to be those agents of love and justice to our earth community. We must seek to heal our fractures. Amen.
please be seated. We turn now to a time of prayer for our community. Please remain seated, stand, or come to the altar rail, however you feel most connected to God in prayer. We will begin this time with the choral call to prayer. intercessory prayer this morning is from the worshiping companion feasting on the word holy god of earth and sky in your presence mountains quake flames tremble and the winds roar hallelujah we pray for the coming of your kingdom let the earth be made whole and new let the sky be made clean and refreshed May all who dwell in heaven and throughout the world be joined in giving you praise. We pray for the nations and people of the world. Let us receive your reign with gladness. Grant world leaders wisdom and humility that they may guide your flocks in the ways that make for peace. Give us ears to attend to the voices of poets and prophets through whom your spirit speaks. We pray for the most vulnerable, for creatures threatened with extinction, for those of the human family who are poor, homeless, or refugees, or marginalized, victims of political or domestic violence, those who are ill in body, mind, or spirit. Grant us compassionate hearts, inspired minds, and wills resolved to care for our neighbors with the love of Christ Jesus. When you bring your promised kingdom, all creatures will shout glory, all your people will sigh love, and all creation will together sing hallelujah. Creator God, with these concerns in mind, we are bold to pray the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. 
Good morning. Welcome to Marsh Chapel. We are delighted that you are worshiping with us this morning. If you're here in person in the pews, I would invite you to sign in on the red pads found in the center of the aisles and pass them along to your neighbor so you can learn one another's names. And if you're worshiping um, with us through the radio or the podcast, I invite you to email us at chapel at bu.edu um, to check in there as well. Um, I would like to announce, it's been announced before, but in two weeks on Sunday, July 7th, is our Marsh Chapel Summer Potluck Barbecue. It is that good and the food is that good that it is worth repeating. So please do join us for that and um, contact Rachel Cape um, at the chapel office to sign up for what you want to cook. We have a, two additional um, very important personnel announcements this week, and that's above my pay grade, so I would like to invite uh, Dean Robert Allen Hill to make those on our behalf. Thank you, Jen. In the spirit of joy, we celebrate those who ran the BAA 10K race. You will see them in the pew next to you in yellow shirts or otherwise. Congratulations. We celebrate those who themselves celebrate wedding anniversaries, like Bob and Beth Neville celebrating their 50th in this season. We welcome them, we embrace them, we're proud of them. We celebrate the arrival of children to young families, notably Brother Larry Whitney and Dr. Holly Rawisa are in receipt of the arrival of Lily Alma Whitney coming in at over seven pounds. You will see her soon. We covet their presence and we offer our prayers to them. And also today and especially we welcome our new full-time university chaplain for international students. This is a unique position, as far as we know, across the country. Brittany, the Reverend Brittany Lungsdorf, a Quaker background, and Carson, her husband, are with us. They have most recently this spring been graduated together from the Princeton Theological Seminary. Even more recently, they have been married, and most recently, they have returned here to Boston from their honeymoon where she begins her work. She is our chaplain to the 20% of our international students from whatever background, Hindu, Muslim, Confucian, Buddhist, Christian, other or none. And she has a whole lot of work ahead of her. She is here on a three-year uh, stint and uh, possibly renewed to another three years. We are so delighted to have Carson here with her and to have her among us. It reminds us of John Wesley saying, the world is my parish. Well, he meant Britain and America. Brittany, the world is your parish. As she stands, will you greet the Reverend Brittany Lungsdorf? the ushers wait upon us for our tithes and our offerings, I invite you to meditate on Felix Mendelssohn's setting of Romans chapter 10, verse 15 and 18.
the beauty of the earth, for the glory of the skies, for the love that from our birth over and around us lies. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our prayer of thanks and praise. Make of us, we ask, imaginative, faithful stewards of all we have received. Bless these gifts and the givers, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. May the sun show warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes God's hand to you. The blessing of God Almighty, Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. 